Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Um, I, I had delivered uh, a sermon at the 9 o'clock service, and uh, I'll be honest, um, I had planned to deliver that again at 1045. Um, but I, I'm usually not one of these guys, but I feel like in between services, like, like God spoke to me in a way, and I feel like we should go in a different direction. So I'm just going to ask that just have patience and kind of bear with me as, as we kind of go down a different road. Well, you should see all your faces right now. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. We're going to do exactly what we have planned. No. <laughs> um, this summer was um, a pretty special summer for us at the beach. Uh, I just, we just had some good times at the beach. We I spent a lot of time there. We started going to beach dinners, which like are awesome. You should put that on your calendar, even if you're not a beach person. Um, and I take long walks on the beach. Not ashamed to admit it. And uh, some of those walks this summer were very meaningful, especially as it pertains to my faith. So before the weather turned uh, this year, I wanted to take one kind of summerish, one last summerish walk on the beach. And I decided I wanted to take a little bit of the ocean home with me this year. So I went down to the beach for one last walk and I scooped, took this jar with me, scooped up some water and scooped up some sand and had every intention of taking it home. And as I was leaving, I snapped this picture. And I had one of those moments, like, remember, remember things that make you go, hmm, remember that? And I had one of those moments where I was looking at this and I was looking at that and I'm like, like, this is the ocean, right? It, it not real, like it's not the ocean, but it's it's also not not the ocean, right? Like this is the ocean, but like that's the ocean, right? And if that's the ocean, then then like what is this? And so when I get these things in my head, I, I have to know like everything. So I went like deep into the Google, and I I I had to know everything there was about this. And and what I found is that the minute I scooped this up from the ocean and I put it in this jar and I sealed it, you know what's happening to this as every moment kind of goes by. It's decaying, it's decomposing, it's dying. The longer I keep it in this jar, every moment that goes by, it dies a little. And the reason why it dies a little is because the ocean is, is like a living, breathing organism. The ocean is alive. And the minute I took this and I removed this from its source, it's a nice memento to keep on my desk, but it's not the ocean. That's weird, right? No, forget it. I just thought I'd share that with you. Never mind. <clears throat> I want to take you back. I was 15 years old, and I, I, was, I was wandering the hallways of my high school. And I had felt like I had just got punched in the gut by Mike Tyson. And what I was really doing, I was wandering the halls because I, what I wanted to do was wait for the bell to ring so I could run into the class that I was supposed to be in, grab my books, and just run to the next class. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because there were a few of my baseball buddies in that class. And I just could not face them. I had just come from a meeting with my guidance counselor, and he informed me that I had just failed too many classes, and I had failed off the baseball team. Now, at 15 years old, um, that was a big deal. And that, that news by itself would have been bad enough. But the way he said it to me and the words he used honestly have stayed with me to this day. 
And I'll never forget walking into that guidance counselor's office and seeing my folder on his desk. It's weird for everyone under 25, I know, but um, remember my folder. And I remember him looking, he opened my folder and he looked and he shook his head. And this wasn't the shaking ahead of like, this isn't good. This was the shaking of head of like, I can't believe one person could be this dumb. And he swiveled around in his chair and, and he leaned and looked me right in the eye and pointed at me and he said, you're stupid and you can forget about baseball. And like, it's crazy because I remember so many details about that moment. I remember the way the handles on the chair felt. I remember the fabric on the chair. I remember the pattern of his tie and, it, like, and he had like a little breath thing. And I, I remember like the smell of his breath. But so many things from that moment I remember. And then he said to me, he said, you know, you, you've you failed too many classes. You're ineligible for any extracurricular activities, and that includes baseball. Now that word ineligible would, would go on to define the next season of my life. And I remember going back, I remember in that hallway, did you ever have like, like, man, like, I messed up something big. Like this, this is a big one. Like this isn't, this isn't like a quick fix or a quick apology or something like, this has got a long tail to it. Like I messed up something big. And I remember thinking like, forget about baseball. How could I forget about baseball? It's like the only thing I care about at that moment. And then I, I remember thinking like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. Like I ain't no rocket surgeon, <laughs> but, but got a much better laugh at the nine. Um, <laughs> But I didn't think I was stupid. And for the first time, I started having uh, a, a series of feelings that I had never had before. And this is kind of at the time of our life when we start to have these feelings. And, and in that moment, the first feeling that came over me was a feeling of isolation. Because in one day, I was isolated from four areas of my life, one move. So I was obviously isolated from the game that, that I loved and I loved to play so much and I worked so hard to put so much time into. I was isolated from my friends on the team, my buddies that I, the better part of two years, I had trained and practiced and played with. I'll, I'll never forget uh, I, I, them on that day, like they were going up the hill one way to practice and I was sitting on the bus going home. And I'll never forget it. And, not only that, but I was isolated from two communities that I was a part of. I went to high school, Seton Hall Prep in, in West Orange, and um, my mom worked at Seton Hall University for like 25 years. My brother went to Seton Hall Prep the four years before me, and he was like star athlete, on a roll. And now he was at Seton Hall University playing on the baseball team, on a roll, the same thing. And so in this community, I knew everyone, and everyone knew me. And in one move, I got my mom the doctor, my brother the superstar, and I'm the moron. And I was also isolated from my friends at home. I, I went to high school about a half hour from where um, I grew up. And I, this was my fault, I, I'll be honest, I, I just neglected to maintain some of the relationships that were the most important to me, that have stayed with me my whole life. And so in those moments, I. I you know, these feelings start to creep in. And also at this time, I had other feelings that we didn't quite really understand or articulate or define then, but I had feelings that we now would, would define as anxiety. 
the feelings that we would now define as depression. And around this time, I had my first suicidal thought. Now, my mom is here today, and her heart just sank into her foot. But mom, I love you. I'm right here. It's all fine. I love you. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, But I think once you've crossed that line psychologically, what really happened for me is when you think there's a a period where you can't go on, is there there was such an identity break of who I was. See, I had spent a lot of time and effort trying to convince people that I was going to be just like my brother or maybe better than my brother. I was, the story that I was selling the whole world was that I'm an athlete and I'm a baseball player. It, it, had you seen me coming a mile away, you would have been like, I, I can't make out who that is, but that guy plays baseball for Seton Hall. Because I had the hat, the shirt, the jacket, the sweatshirt, the sweatpants, and I mean, I wore it like everywhere. Out to dinner, movies, church, everywhere. I wanted every single person around me to know that this is who I was. That was the story I was selling. And a lot of people bought it. And the question that I most wanted people to ask of me at this time in my life was, how's baseball? Because I had a good answer. And in one day, the question that I most wanted them to ask became the question that I least wanted them to ask. Because my answer wasn't so good. Because now I had went from one identity and, and, and that broke, and I, I took on another identity that was stupid, failure, ineligible. And so everyone that asked me how was baseball, I had to tell them that I was ineligible. And <clears throat> I was lucky enough that I, I was able to fall back into a foundation, a community that I, I was raised in of, of the church. And the, the guys that I went to school with, uh, my buddies I went to church with and youth group with, and I fell back into that. And luckily, they were much better to me than I was to them. Thank God. I fell back into a youth ministry that was, was solid. And, and this, this, uh, this foundation that I think sometimes when we go through bad things and we get over onto the other side, is it sometimes weird that we don't realize what got us to the other side until we're way over on the other side? And then we look back and like decades later, you're like, wow, you know, if that wasn't there, it would have been bad. So I fell back into this foundation. And around this time, I ran into my third grade teacher. And she was a very special person. I want to introduce you to her. This is my third grade teacher. This is Sister Ann Dominic. Now I'm gonna tell you what, God was very exact when he made Sister Ann Dominic. He knew exactly what he was doing when he made her. This woman, well she was all about this big, but she was a powerful force of nature. If you drove around town in Union, New Jersey, uh, you'd see her walking down the street, you'd see her walking through town, you'd see her walking around church, and she walked like this, like she walked like, like it was like a nine degree angle like 12 miles per hour and like you you were like I hope she's not coming to see me it was like she was this was a powerful powerful woman um but I'm gonna tell you what I don't think there will be another person for as long as I live that will have a greater impact on my faith than her and and I don't know that she'll ever know it but the reason why is that she's the first person that I remember reading the bible with now, I know there were others, I'm sure there were, but, but I remember every day in the third grade, she would call us up to, to you know, a, a podium like this, and we had one of those big, any Catholic school people here? 
Yeah, a couple nods. Okay. And one of those big Bibles, right? Remember those? And like this was, and she would stand over us like this and read a verse and she'd correct us. This was like, what was that, King James or whatever? Like a lot of hats and sinews and words that like nobody knows what they mean, right? And she would stand there and just walk us through it. Now, I got to tell you, I don't remember a single verse, not one. I don't remember one single verse that we read in front of the class. But I remember doing it every day. And as I look back, I wonder, was that her point? Did she expect a third grader to understand the Bible, or was she trying to instill in a third grader that you read it every day? But more than reading the Bible with me, this woman did the Bible. The word ineligible did not exist in her vocabulary. She fed hungry people. There was, in the basement of the convent, there was this pantry that she had. And like, if a nuclear bomb is coming, follow me. We'll we'll, we'll centuries of food we got in here. I know exactly where we're going to eat forever. But, But she would feed everyone who needed to be fed. She cared for the elderly long before the elderly had the care that they experience now. She started an organization that helped those who were handicapped and physically challenged and those who suffered from mental illness long before we had the services or the compassion or the understanding to really help them. She helped people that society had deemed ineligible or quite honestly, that some families either dropped off, left behind, forgotten about, or just plain threw away. There was no one in her world that was ineligible. That's why I don't doubt a single word that's in this book. Because I saw it can be done. I saw it lived out in a human being. So I don't know if I have the power to do it, but it can be done. So around this time, I ran into her. And she asked the question that I had trained everybody in my life to ask me. How's baseball? And I told her the story, and she said, and I said, you know, I fell off team, and I'm... I'm ineligible. And she said, Paul, you, you haven't been reading your Bible, have you? Uh, no, no. She said, Paul, God uses people like you. I'm like, what do you, what do you people like me? She said, Failures. I'm like, what, what, huh, what? Yeah. No, she was nicer about it than that, I'm only kidding. But, what, but I think that the point that she was trying to make was that if you read through the Bible, it, it, the Bible is a series of God using broken, broken people to do great things. And I, and, and I recently read in a book that God doesn't break his children to punish them, that sometimes God breaks his children to perfect them. And I walked away from that conversation hearing from her, God's going to use you, Paul. God's going to use you. God's going to use you. Now, let me just, this was no miraculous conversation. This w- woman of God did not speak over me and my life got better. The next three, four years of my life, probably the hardest season of my life. But, but I walked away from that with God's going to use you, Paul. God's gonna. Now, this was also nothing new because every time I'd ever been with her, my entire life, she ended every conversation like that and every other student she had and every other member of our church. And every time I saw her, any time after that, I heard over and over again, God's going to use you, Paul. God's going to use you, Paul. God's going to use you, Paul. Because I think if you're going to do the Bible, it's not something we'll do once. I think it's something you do over and over and over again. And she was right. Like, I've told that story of failing off the baseball team to thousands of baseball players. And I've had baseball players who said to me, that story, I went and hit the books. I went and turned it around. I got serious, and I started taking So she was right. God did use that story. And 
I mentioned at the time that I, I had my first suicidal thought. Now, I think once you've crossed that line psychologically, I think there's always going to be a little piece of your heart that's going to grieve and sympathize for anyone who experienced these feelings or makes that decision. And unfortunately, there have been a number of celebrities over the last few years that have made that decision. And it's disappointing and it's hurtful. And when you hear it, it it's sad to hear it. But I'll, I want to be honest. I hope that we can be honest. Like most of the celebrities, I, I, the only thing I knew is that they were famous. I just knew their name. I didn't know really who they were beyond that. I just knew that they were a famous person for doing something. But there was one in particular that, that, that hit me really hard and re really broke my heart. And the reason why it did is because this is a voice that had been coming through my headphones for 25 years. It's this guy right here. <clears throat> now, some of you might not know who that is, but th this is Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell was the lead singer of a band called Soundgarden. So remember the, like, the grunge, Seattle, Nirvana, Pearl Jam? Well, they were like the third biggest band to come out of that. And like, if you were gonna make a movie about a rock star, right? Like, this is who you'd like. You'd cast him, right? Like, I mean, he looks cool. He dresses cool. His hair's cool. He played. He was talented. He sounded cool. He had an incredible stage presence, and he, or he was a great performer. Like, he had everything. Go to the next one. And, and on this night, I mean, look at this. Like, look at the, the people who are watching him. On this night, he played. Uh, his music in front of an arena full of people that, uh, that all sang along to his songs. He was up there with his buddies that he'd, he'd been playing music with for 25 years. And we think, wow, this guy has it all. He's got his buddies, he's got his music, he's got fans, he's got money, he's got fame. He went home from this concert right here, went back to a hotel room all alone, and took his own life. How can that be? And we get shocked at that because sometimes it, it's a break from an identity that we had. Now, I do what we all do when a musician dies. I went back and I listened to all his music. That's what we do. And one song in particular was my favorite song from them. Uh, it was called Burden in My Hand. And I had, I had listened to that song, gosh, hundreds, hundreds, I mean, maybe a thousand times. I've listened to it a thousand times, but I never heard it. And now, like, you know, you could get your lyrics right there on your music app. And I'm listening to my favorite song, and I'm reading these lyrics. And, and one verse just jumped out at me, and I, I, I just never caught it before. All the hundreds of times, I never caught it. But it jumped out and just broke my heart. And here it is. To close your eyes and bow your head, I need a little sympathy, because fear is strong and loves for everyone who isn't me. And that line just... Loves for everyone who isn't me. Like, God, that just broke my heart. It just absolutely broke my heart. Because, like, there's part of me, honestly, like, I hope it's just like a lyric. You know how, like, John Lennon's, like, yeah, they didn't mean anything. Like, they just rhymed. Right? I, I'm really hoping that it, that, that just rhymed. Because, gosh, I, it would break my heart if he didn't believe that. It would break my heart if anyone, didn't, anyone believed that statement. Because I can't think of any statement that could be more opposite than what Jesus taught. But I also can't think of one statement that more accurately defines the word ineligible. I would hope, I, I don't think you can pray to Jesus and believe that. 
I don't think that you can read this and believe that. I don't think you could be part of a church like this and believe that. But we do. We do. I mean, come on. Come on. We're, maybe we're not the biggest church, and maybe we're not the fanciest church, but right now we can be the most honest church. There are people sitting in this room right now who believe that's true. Believe it's true. And i got to tell you, as a member of this church, I'm standing up here as a member of the church, and you're sitting there, I, that, that someone could be sitting in this room and believing that is just unacceptable to me. Unacceptable, because that's not I want to show you another thing that uh, Sister Ann Dominic did to me. Brian, can you stand up? Darlene, can you stand up? Joe, Charles, come here. I'm going to take you back to, to Catholic school. Um, get single file. Single file line, Catholic school. Andres, get in single file. That's pretty good. They all went to Catholic school. Sister Ann, <laughs> Sister Ann Dominic, uh, here, here's what she did. When, when we were kids, she marched us into, into church. And so come on up, come on up, come on up. She marched us into church. You guys come right back in here, right in here. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. Now, like at Park Church, this isn't a big deal, right? Like kids run around up here. You can go up there anytime you want. But, but back in like whatever this was, 1979, 80, 81, whatever it was, like in the Catholic Church, like you didn't go up here. You didn't go up onto the altar, right? Not only did you not go up to the altar, but like a nun, like the way, the honest truth, the way nuns were treated, they were not second-class citizens. They were treated like third, fourth, or fifth-class citizens, especially as compared to what they contributed. So as I look back at this as an adult, what I see now is like a nun taking a bunch of kids up on, like this was radical. This was radical. But here's what she did. I'm gonna take a little liberties with it. Turn, turn around, turn around. And she made us look, she made us, she said, look up at that, look up. She said, look up. And she said, he went there for you. He did that for you. That doesn't change, that doesn't expire, that doesn't go away, that is forever. You guys can turn around. And, and, and the point that she was making was, you can go to this church and you can stand before that cross anytime you want. That never goes away. That never expires. You are eligible for that at any time. Now, at a base level, we all believe that. At some level, we all believe that. Or we wouldn't be here. But we make mistakes. We mess up. We fail classes. And sometimes we can fail classes and we can mess up and we can make mistakes and we can start to believe that maybe that isn't, that isn't for us. And sometimes when we make, when we make mistakes and we fail classes, we, we can get a little separated. And sometimes the separation starts real subtle. The separation starts with, you know, like I'm, I'm a Christian, like I can't believe I spoke to that person I love like that. I, I can't believe the way that I behaved or the way that I acted. I, I can't believe, you know, if they, ever, if they ever knew what I did or how I behaved, like they, they, would never, they would never understand. How could they ever understand me? And then all of a sudden the thought can creep in that understanding is for everyone who isn't me. And with that, we can declare ourselves ineligible and get a little farther away and a little farther away. And then maybe it's a big one. Maybe we got a big break in identity. Maybe you've been going to community group for the last couple of years, and maybe you've been telling everybody at community group what a happy marriage you have and how happy your family is, and all your social media pictures show nothing but a big, happy family. And then all of a sudden, now maybe you're going to go to community group and tell them, my marriage is 
falling apart. How can I do that? They're, they're going to know I lied to them. They're gonna, how could they ever trust me again? And then we can think that sympathy and empathy is for everyone who isn't me. And we can declare ourselves ineligible. Ineligible. And then maybe it's a pattern. Maybe it's a long pattern of behavior. Maybe we failed a lot of classes. Maybe we keep failing the same class over and over and over again. And then, then it comes to the point where you're like, you know what, I, forget about them. I don't, like, I don't know how they could ever, like, forget about them. I, how could God ever forgive me? How could I ever experience that? And then we can start to believe that grace and mercy and forgiveness is for everyone who isn't me. And then we can make that final declaration of ineligibility and get so separate. Now, I haven't even gotten into the Bible yet. I want to show you what the Bible says about this. <clears throat> Let's go. I only got 17 words for you today. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church like this. And what he's saying is, here on the cross, you have where the physical body of Christ ended. We go there and take a piece of the symbolic body of Christ. But what Paul is saying is that now you, the church, you are the living, breathing body of Christ. So now I got to ask you, what's happening to this as every moment goes by? Dying dying in isolation. And sometimes as Christians, we hold ourselves to such a standard of behavior that when we do something wrong, our first instinct is to isolate. And our first instinct is to get separate and to get locked away because we think that sometimes the things that we do, no one would understand. The only way to get over that is to connect back to your source. There's two ways I can get this back to its source. I can open it up, put it outside, and Whatever that process is, you, I failed classes, I don't know. Um, it, no, I write, it goes up into the clouds, it rains, right, something like that? Okay, so it'll find its way back, but it's going to be, the problem with it is a long process. It's a long process. Now, here's the other problem with this. You know what would happen if I open this up right now? So blow out this room. This stinks to high heaven in here. This water smells. You ever leave a towel in your car, in the, like from the beach, and you go up into the car the next day, right? It's this ten times worse than that. This smells. So what happens is sometimes as Christians, our problems, we're so worried about opening up and letting our problems out because we're afraid of how bad they smell and how bad they stink. And we think, nobody's going to be around me because this stinks, this smells. And so we just lock it away and lock it away and lock it away. Now, the other way that I can get this back to its source is actually the most efficient way. I can go down to the beach. I can open this up, and maybe I'll smell it a little bit. And I can throw it right into the water, and what will happen instantly? The smell will go away. The body will absorb that smell. The, the one wave will come, and I wouldn't be able to tell this water from, like, I won't, oh, there's my water over. No, I wouldn't be able to tell. It'll go right back into its source immediately. So I got to say, if we know that as long as this stays locked up, it's dying, and this is the body, are we okay with him being out there? Is someone willing to go get him? Go get him. Someone from the back. Oh, man, picked the wrong guy. Eugene, easy on him, Eugene. <laughs> easy, big fella. <clears throat> now, what happens is this. 
Now, here's the thing. Stop right there. Here, here's the thing. Now, now he's back in. So Paul doesn't say that each one of you who never messes up is a part of it, or each one of you who never makes a mistake or takes a wrong turn or fails a class is a part of it. He doesn't designate any behavior to be a part of it. There's no qualifications for this. I, I can't think of a single statement that says eligibility more than that. Each one of you is a part of it. So if he comes back in and maybe he's got a big hairy problem and maybe he smells, but whether we, whether we don't like the way he smells or not, when he goes to that table, he's entitled to a piece of the body. So it's going to take someone who's going to take him and say, come on, Brian. God's going to use you, Brian. It's okay, Brian. I don't care that you messed up, Brian. God's going to use you. God's going to use you, Brian. I don't care that you made a wrong turn. God's going to use you. And it's going to take him and push him and dump him right back into the ocean. Good job, Brian. <laughs> and Thank you, Eugene. And it's going to reconnect him back and won't care how bad he smells. We'll remind him at every time that God's going to use him. We have chosen a life that, quite honestly, it would be easier to be LeBron James. We have chosen a life that's hard. Because of that, we make mistakes, and we screw up, and we mess up, and we take wrong turns, and we fail classes. And then all of a sudden, the identity that we built, we sometimes we feel like when that breaks, I don't know that anyone will understand. If, if there's one thing I learned, that when I sold the world this identity of me as being an athlete or being a baseball player or I was going to be just like my brother, i got to tell you, that was never true about me. That was never true about That wasn't true for one second. The identity that I took on of being a, a stupid and a failure and ineligible, that also was never true. Never true. Not for one second was that true about me. But I believed it. And I made other people believe it, too. And we can make other people believe things about us that we believe. There's lots of things that we believe that aren't true. The earth was never flat. Not for one second was the earth flat. But we believed it. The, the, the sun never rotated around the earth. Not one time. It never made one rotation. But we believed it. And sometimes we can sell the world a story about ourselves that's not true. I promise you it's not true for a second. Wherever the band is, they can start to come up. Um, I, I want to make one other point here before we put this on the runway, because Paul says each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part. It, it, he doesn't, there's no designation or qualification or standing or levels. He doesn't say that each one of you who makes the biggest gifts is a part of it, or, or that every one of you that has the biggest problems are less of a part of it. He doesn't say that. He's saying that each one of you is a part of it. Then what I think Paul is trying to tell this church is that the strength is in the connection. Where's the strength? In the? Connection. Where's the strength? In the? Connection. Hands. Hands. Nope. Hands. Hands together. Hands together. Hands together. On your feet. On your feet. Come on. Let's not be one of those churches. Let's go, on your feet, get your neighbor, hands, everybody get connected, get connected, get connected, get connected, get connected. Nobody stays disconnected. You could, the aisles don't have to be good if you want, go for it. <laughs> Here's the thing. 
I want to put this on the runway. We're going to pray. I want to pray in a way that right now, like, God is, like, making an oak tree or a baby or a little puppy right now, right? He's making stuff. And I want him to hear Park Church pray and kind of go, like, does anybody know what church that is? I want him to, to, to hear it in a way that we mean it. So let's get connected. Let's pray. Father, you have sent your Apostle Paul with a message to a church just like this saying that this church is now the living, breathing body of Christ. At Park Church, we have heard that message loud and clear. We know that everyone in this room is a part of the body, is eligible for every promise you made, that love is for us. Mercy and grace and forgiveness and empathy and sympathy and caring and community is for us. Father, let's squeeze the hands that we're holding. That is someone's daughter. That is someone's son. Someone's mother, father, grandfather, granddaughter, grandmother, grandson, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, friend, or just someone they met today, but that person is a piece of the body. We also know, Father, that the hand we're holding has been through some stuff. They've made some mistakes, they've taken some wrong turns, they've done some bad things, and they've failed some classes. But nothing they do makes them ineligible. I would also help that we could remind the hands that we are holding that they are still here. And they've survived every one of their toughest days. And they'll survive every other one that's coming. Father Park Church, we heard your Apostle Paul, and we're ready. We accept the responsibility of being the living, breathing body of Christ. And this, and this body prays all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.